Honorable, the Chief Justice and the Associate Justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. All persons having business before the Honorable, the Supreme Court of the United States, are admonished to draw near and give their attention, for the Court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 12-398, Association for Molecular Pathology versus Myriad Genetics. April 15, 2013. After years of litigating in circles, two positions, seemingly irreconcilable, would have their day before the highest court in the land. The Association for Molecular Pathology, or AMP, had challenged the validity of Myriad Genetics patents on two genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2, the abbreviations given to Breast Cancer Gene 1 and Breast Cancer Gene 2. When these genes function normally, they help block the development of breast and ovarian cancers. But some genetic mutations botch this tumor suppression function, which can lead to cancer. Some people may have a family history of breast or ovarian cancer, Oftentimes, these people seek out genetic testing to determine their risk of developing cancer. Many companies offer such services, but the one at the center of this case is Myriad. Because Myriad Genetics held the patents on the BRCA1 and 2 genes, only they could test the BRCA1 and 2 genes, meaning other companies or researchers were just out of luck. Patients, too, were impacted. For instance, if they had inconclusive results from Myriad's test, or if they just wanted a second outside opinion to confirm their results, there was nothing they could do. No second opinion could exist. But researchers and patients alike knew what they were up against. Gene patents were extremely lucrative to the tune of billions of dollars. By 2013, Myriad themselves had earned $57 million from their BRCA1 and 2 patents. Not to mention, gene patents had been around as early as the 80s, but exploded in popularity in the 90s. Could the AMP and the plaintiffs really overturn decades of precedence? Well, they sure were going to try. Myriad, of course, resisted their litigation. The company, and other entities like it who owned gene patents, challenged their opponents' claims that the patents were stifling scientific progress and harming patients in the process. The patents, they argued, allowed them to secure funding to continue to develop more tests and treatments. Patents protected and incentivized research, Myriad argued. Therefore, they were a necessary part of science. In the Supreme Court, Myriad, the respondents, would be represented by Gregory A. Castañas, an intellectual property attorney brought on by international law firm Jones Day. Civil rights attorney Christopher A. Hansen with the American Civil Liberties Union would argue for the AMP, who were the petitioners in the case. It would be him who began the oral arguments that Monday in April. Here's Christopher Hansen speaking before the justices in audio from the OYA project. One way to address the question presented by this case is what exactly did Myriad invent? And the answer is nothing. Hansen acknowledged Myriad's huge achievement in decoding the BRCA1 and BRCA2 sequences or determining the order of nucleotides that made up these genes. But the methods Myriad used to accomplish this was, quote, routine conventional science. Therefore, Hansen argued, 
Myriad deserves credit for having unlocked these secrets. Myriad does not deserve a patent for it. According to the Lander Brief, written by Harvard geneticist Eric S. Lander and law professor I. Glenn Cohen, there were three questions that the Supreme Court would have to consider. The first asked, Is isolated DNA a product of nature? Remember, isolated DNA refers to DNA that has the same sequences as DNA in the body. It's just no longer in the body. This isolated DNA is what Myriad used in their BRCA analysis test to examine the BRCA1 and 2 genes, so it was a crucial point of contention. In regards to this concept, Justice Samuel Alito posited a hypothetical scenario, which would be referenced throughout the rest of the one-hour and seven-minute-long oral arguments. Justice Alito wondered, if you took a leaf from the Amazon that was known to have healing properties, then ate that leaf to get those healing properties, would that be patent eligible? After some back and forth, Hansen, arguing for the AMP, said, yes, because that leaf was given a new function. In contrast, Myriad offered three functions of their isolated DNA. Examine it to see if mutations are present, use it as a probe, or use it as a primer. However, Hansen argued that these did not constitute new functions. Finding a new use for a product of nature, if you don't change the product of nature, is not patentable. If I find a new way of taking gold and making earrings out of it, that doesn't entitle me to a patent on gold. This product of nature doctrine Hansen refers to is the idea that living products are products of nature and therefore are not patentable. Rather, they belong to everybody. Gregory Castanis, Myriad's lawyer, said that the product of nature doctrine it has some very dangerous consequences if it's not cabined and understood correctly. I don't believe that as a separate doctrine it really exists. It's just the flip side of the coin of something that shows a lack of invention. But back to the Amazon leaf conversation. Justice Sonia Sotomayor will later ask Gregory Castanis, arguing for Myriad, if the leaf could be patented simply by yanking it out of the soil and carrying it out of the Amazon. Castanias responded no, because a new tangible product was not isolated. Only the plant was isolated from the forest. But he insisted that it was different in the case of isolated DNA, because DNA as it exists in the body cannot be used by the body for genetic testing. This hypothetical Amazon forest does not use this healing leaf to somehow repair its roots or leaves or canopies. There is no use to people in this scenario until the leaf is actually taken out of the Amazon for people elsewhere to use. And similarly, as Myriad saw it, there is no diagnostic use for DNA until it's actually taken out of the body for people elsewhere to use. The AMP's lawyer, Christopher Hansen, later contested this, though. We do think you cannot get a patent on the thing, the plant itself, just because you pulled it out of the ground and took it to the United States. Now, let's switch to another analogy, this time suggested by Myriad's Gregory Castanas. A baseball bat doesn't exist until it's isolated from a tree. Castanas argued that the tree is not the one to decide the shape and the structure of the bat, it's humans. Justice Samuel Alito then referenced the lander brief. To get back to your baseball bat example, which at least I, I can understand better than perhaps some of this biochemistry, I suppose that in, you know, I don't know how many millions of years trees have been around, but in all of that time, possibly someplace a branch has fallen off a tree and it's fallen into the ocean and it's been 
manipulated by the waves and then something's been washed up on the shore. And what do you know? It's a baseball bat. Is that, yep. <laughs> is that what Dr. Lander is talking about? Yes. What Dr. Lander and Justice Alito are talking about is a process by which DNA in the body is, quote, constantly being broken apart by cleaving their chemical bonds, forming DNA fragments. These fragments are common throughout the body and cover the entire human genome, including Myriad's BRCA1 and BRCA2. Therefore, the Lander brief concluded, Myriad's claims thus include DNA fragments that are unambiguously products of nature. Isolated DNA that had the same sequence as DNA in the body could not be patented. In addition to this isolated DNA slash leaf slash baseball bat idea, Christopher Hansen argued for the AMP that complementary DNA, or cDNA, also cannot be patented. cDNA is man-made, using a process that basically reverse engineers a matching sequence, leaving only the parts of DNA that code for proteins. These are called exons. A similar process occurs naturally in the body, where non-coding parts of DNA, or introns, are removed to only leave exons, the protein-coding parts. According to Christopher Hansen, scientists making cDNA are just using the principles of human biology. They put in a complementary nucleotide and... Nature causes them to bind up. The justices appeared less receptive to this argument. To them, it was not just nature doing the work, it's the scientists, too. The U.S. government agreed with this viewpoint. In the Supreme Court case, they were represented as a friend of the court by Donald B. Varelli Jr., the U.S. Solicitor General from 2011 to 2016. Though the U.S. government believed that genomic, naturally occurring DNA could not be patented, even if it was isolated from the body, the position of the United States is that cDNA is patent eligible. As you just heard, Solicitor General Varelli agreed with Myriad that cDNA, that only contains the protein-coding parts of DNA, could be patented. But to the federal government, isolated DNA, that had the same sequence both in a body and in a lab, was a different story. Isolated DNA falls on the ineligible side of that divide because it is simply native DNA extracted from the body. But what did the nine justices believe? Justice Elena Kagan asked, Do you think that the first person who isolated a chromosome could have gotten a patent on that? Myriad's lawyer, Gregory Castanis, responded, I think in theory that is possible. I'm answering your questions as though it's about 101, patent eligibility. He then discussed Section 101 of U.S. Code 35, which deals all with what can and cannot be patented. In Section 101, a patent claim must be shown to be useful. Justice Kagan interjected. Yes, chromosomes are very useful. She also asked Castanias, what was stopping people from patenting any part of the body? After all, every part of the body is useful, right? Couldn't we get to, you know, the first person who found a liver? Castania said no, because the liver or kidney or any organ is the same thing both inside and outside of the body. But Myriad believed that both their cDNA and their isolated DNA were not the same thing in and out of the body. So therefore, they were patent eligible. Justice Sonia Sotomayor disagreed. I can bake a chocolate chip cookie using natural ingredients, salt, flour, eggs, butter, and I create my chocolate chip cookie. But I can't imagine getting a patent simply on 
the basic items of salt, flour, and eggs simply because I've created a new use or a new product from those ingredients. Lots of analogies, I know. But she wondered, how can you patent genes if they're those basic essential products that federal law says cannot be patented? Castanis had a response for that. Uh, Mr. Sotomayor, I guess I'll take issue with the notion that there's nothing additive here. Uh, what the myriad inventors created in this circumstance was a new molecule that had never before n- been known to the world. And in his final point, Gregory Castanis compared Myriad's DNA products to new medicines. It's important to note that molecules have been patented for a very long time. That's what drugs are. And drugs are often made by taking one molecule and another molecule, both of which are known, reacting them in a test tube, which is a very common thing. Its reactions have been around 100 years, but they make something new and useful. But Chief Justice John Roberts disagreed. I don't understand how this is at all like that, because there you are obviously combining things and getting something new. Here you're just snipping, and you don't have anything new. You have something that is a part of something that has existed uh, previous to your intervention. The Lander Brief's final question asked, how would a decision either way affect the biotech industry? Justice Anthony Kennedy asked Castanis, if they ruled in line with the U.S. government, that naturally occurring G-DNA in its isolated form could not be patented, but C-DNA could. Would that give the industry uh, sufficient protection for innovation and research? Castanias responded, honestly, he really could not say for sure. So much had changed since gene patents and guidelines were first established some 20 or 30 years ago. But, he noted, Where it will hurt is setting a new standard that required the legal system to determine how much manipulation occurred to make something new and useful to warrant being patent eligible. Moreover, if the justices ruled this way against isolated DNA, they'd be upsetting years of precedent set by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. I think you you can dilute it a little bit, but you can't take away the fact that it is a a 30-plus year practice that the Patent Office continues to follow. Who cares about precedents, Hansen argued for the AMP. If you uphold the patents in this case, Myriad can't, has the authority given it by the government to stop anyone from doing research on a piece of the human body. That simply can't be right. The genes in this case, the patents in, on the genes in this case, cover the genes of every man, woman, and child in the United States. And with that, oral arguments in the case of AMP versus Myriad were over. Thank you, counsel. The case is submitted. Put yourself in the shoes of the nine Supreme Court justices. You've heard the case. Now's the time to put your own black robe on and think about who you would side with. The Association for Molecular Pathology in overturning gene patents or a myriad of genetics in upholding them. Or maybe, in your opinion, it's not so clear-cut and there's no fine line. Let's find out if you agreed with the Supreme Court. Almost two months to the day after oral arguments were heard in the case of AMP versus Myriad, the Supreme Court's decision was finally announced on June 13, 2013. Justice Thomas has our opinion this morning in case 12-398, the Association for Molecular Pathology versus Myriad Genetics. In an opinion filed with the clerk today, we affirm in part and reverse in part. We, being all nine justices, this was a unanimous decision among Justices Thomas, 
Sotomayor, Breyer, Scalia, Kennedy, Ginsburg, Alito, Kagan, and Chief Justice Roberts. Myriad's DNA claim falls within the products of nature exception and are not eligible for patent protection. Myriad did not create or alter the genetic information encoded in the two genes or the genetic structure of the DNA itself. It identified important and useful genes, but this discovery, groundbreaking as it was, does not by itself satisfy the Section 101 inquiry. Consequently, Myriad's patent on BRCA gene, on the BRCA gene, are invalid. Wow. In a win for the Association for Molecular Pathology, the Supreme Court ruled that isolated DNA cannot be patented because it's still the same sequence both in and out the body. But wait, there's more. We reach a different conclusion, however, with respect to cDNA. In our view, cDNA is not a product of nature and is therefore patent eligible under Section 101. If you recall, cDNA, or complementary DNA, is the man-made genetic material that only contains the exons, the parts of the DNA that actually code for proteins. All the non-coding parts, the introns, are removed by scientists. Because cDNA is not naturally occurring, but is instead the product of human ingenuity, we conclude that cDNA is distinguishable from non-patentable products of nature. All in all, the justices ruled in line with the U.S. government. You cannot patent isolated DNA, but you can patent cDNA. Despite this loss on cDNA, the Association for Molecular Pathology celebrated the decision. Dr. Jennifer L. Hunt, president of the AMP, called the decision critical and right for the future of medicine and science. Oh, we were just ecstatic. You know, we were very, very passionate about this. Dr. Roger Klein. It didn't have a monetary impact for us. It was a something that we truly believed in as a, as a group and as an organization. So we were so excited. I think we all felt that this was a, a very important step forward. Geneticist Dr. Uta Frank. The significance is that it opened up the possibility to develop genetic testing and apply it to patient care without further financial or legal restrictions. The public overwhelmingly saw the decision as a victory, too. To many, it was incomprehensible that companies were patenting the DNA found in every person. During oral arguments in April 2013, protesters had carried signs like, Free our genes. No one should own our DNA. You don't own me. Outlaw gene patenting. Human genes belong to human beings, not corporations. But they were relieved and rejoiced after the Supreme Court's ruling against gene patents on isolated DNA. Many others applauded the decision too, including the American Medical Association, who filed an amicus brief, as well as the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, or ACMG, which, along with the AMP, was among the many plaintiffs in the case. The ACMG did say, however, that the best decision would have declared any form of a gene patent ineligible. To that end, they had hoped that cDNA's patentability would also be overturned. Patients, too, were thrilled, including Lisbeth Seriani. Last episode, we talked about her story. She was the breast cancer survivor whose efforts to get BRCA testing were delayed for a year and a half 
because Myriad did not accept her insurance and she could not afford the more than $3,000 price tag out of pocket. Elizabeth Sirianni's thoughts on the decision were included in the ACLU statement. She felt, quote, relieved that no other woman will have to go through what I went through. She added how glad she was that the Supreme Court agrees that women deserve full access to vital information from their own bodies. Here's Dr. Crystal Redman, Executive Director of Breast Cancer Action, which was one of the plaintiffs in the case, on what the Supreme Court's decision means for bodily autonomy. So it refers to the ability of individuals to make decisions about our own bodies, free from any external interference or coercion. Our health and our bodies come before corporations, come before um, biotech and big pharma profits. As you can see, it's pretty clear that Myriad drew the shorter end of the stick. But all was not lost for them in the biotech industry. Remember, the man-made cDNA was still patent eligible. Peter D. Meldrum, the president and CEO of Myriad Genetics, said the company believed the court appropriately upheld their claims on cDNA ensuring strong intellectual property protection for their BRCA analysis test moving forward. Just hours after the decision, Myriad's competitors announced BRCA genetic tests of their own. Ambry Genetics' new test costs around $2,300, and DNA Traits' test just $995. Here's licensed genetic counselor Aaron Nordquist. Genetic testing is a really incredible tool for improving and personalizing healthcare. And so insurance coverage of genetic testing is improving drastically. Just the cost um, of performing the testing is going down all the time. So that means that more and more patients are able to access testing. So then what about Myriad's patents? Although cDNA is pretty unimportant when it comes to genetic testing, primers were used by Myriad competitors Ambry Genetics and Gene by Gene in their BRCA tests. Therefore, because these primers were still considered patent-eligible, Myriad sued the two companies. In 2014, a federal appellate court agreed with Ambry Genetics and Gene by Gene that Myriad's primers were not new, patentable inventions. Like the isolated DNA, the primers were made up of the same sequence of nucleotides both in and out of the body. Once again, the courts sided against Myriad. Monumental changes have occurred since 2013. Though policies differ overseas, in the United States, unless the DNA involved is substantially different from naturally occurring DNA, gene patents are dead. The company at the center of our case has seemed to change, too. This year, Myriad Genetics reversed a two-decade-old policy on their BRCA variant database. This extensive and previously confidential database is something we mentioned last episode in part two. Because it was basically only Myriad testing the BRCA1 and 2 genes for nearly 20 years, they were able to collect huge scores of data from their patients on those variants of uncertain significance, or VUS. These mutations in the BRCA1 and 2 genes could be safe or harmful. Scientists just did not know. In 2004, around eight years after Myriad started offering genetic testing, they stopped sharing their VUS data on the grounds that it was being used improperly. Murad said that the VUS data should only be used for research purposes, but they alleged that it was being used to determine patients' cancer risks. Therefore, although other companies began to offer BRCA testing, 
That database exclusivity allowed Myriad to determine the effects of mutations much more effectively. But incredibly, in 2022, Myriad announced that they would be releasing their VUS data to a public database starting in the spring of this year. What influenced the company on this 180-degree turn to embrace widespread access to their data? Myriad's chief medical officer, Dr. Thomas Slavin, said that the company was responding to calls from customers and the broader community to share their data. The company had once been infamous for its fierce enforcement of its patents and trade secrets, which Chief Medical Officer Dr. Slavin acknowledged made Myriad a non-favorable partner to a lot of people. Now, the company sued over their monopoly on the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes would be releasing their long-protected data to a public database, which experts believe will improve patient care. As Dr. Slavin put it, quote, I cannot think of anything bigger that says we're a different company. James Watson, who won a Nobel Prize for his work in determining the structure of DNA, expressed his support for the AMP, filing not one, but two amicus briefs. Like Mary Claire King, who discovered the BRCA1 gene, James Watson believed that one of the biggest issues with gene patents was how restrictive they became in terms of licensing the genes out for research or testing. But Watson was much more vocal about his disapproval of gene patents. Though he was a founding member of the Human Genome Project, he eventually left after conflicts with NIH director Bernadine Healy over her attempts to secure patents on DNA sequences. The Human Genome Project was funded by taxpayers, everyday people. Though we may not have conducted the painstaking work of sequencing or analyzing the DNA data, the intimate understanding we now possess of the genetic blueprint of humans is, in part, thanks to us, the public. James Watson also reminded the Supreme Court, quote, Much of what we know now about human genes traces back to the Human Genome Project, which was intended to benefit everyone by deciphering our genetic code. Much of the human genome was dedicated to the public. And to so many, that sentiment was the heartbeat of this case. The idea that knowledge should be widely shared, available, and accessible. Every single one of us, whether we're scientists, patients, or just citizens, truth is our foundation, our right, and it can never be taken away. <laughs>